Before we look more closely at these words of Jesus from Matthew 11, I, I want to acknowledge the pain that many of us bring into this space this morning over the death of Hux Robinson. I won't try to tie it all, all up with a nice little bow, and I don't believe that's what any of you really want me to do anyway, but I do want to acknowledge this, and I think that this is a word of particular importance. Um, it is a sacred story. It is Molly and Andrew, Baron and Simon's sacred story. Uh, some of you know them well, some may not. Regardless, our task as their people here is to make space for that story to continue to unfold and to protect that space and the sacredness of the story and to ourselves rehearse the most sacred of stories that encompasses all others, that of God and Christ Jesus. And we come together and we do that through prayer, through singing songs old and new, through reading aloud these centuries-old liturgies and these millennia-old scripture, and through our ultimate act of gathering at the table in which we declare with Hux and with all of the saints through a feast of wine and bread that God is good, that God loves us, and that he's coming again to restore all things and make all things new. So one more thing, um, a, a, another friend of mine who experienced the death of a child used the phrase trauma tourist to talk about the tendency of some people in times like this to drop in and see the pain up close but never really enter into it. And I just want to gently push in on this community as one of your priests and remind you that we are not to be tourists of one another's pain, but we who are being shaped in the image and likeness of Christ are called to enter in to truly and with great vulnerability weep with those who weep, to honor and remember and to stand guard around these sacred things. Amen. May it be so. Today, our propers, um, as you heard Father Robert mention, uh, come from the Feast of St. Francis. In many ways, I, I felt that this was a fitting option, not just because this past Wednesday was the actual commemoration of St. Francis, but also because St. Francis is associated with the patronage of animals in the environment, and I thought that was a fitting saint for one Hux Robinson. And perhaps most fitting are the words of Jesus from the assigned gospel for the Feast of St. Francis. So we've already heard it read by Deacon Dan, but I'd like to read them again for you to hear and let the words wash over you and begin to process in your own minds and hearts what they really mean. Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray. Lord, in the words of your apostle Peter, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. 
Reveal more of yourself to us here in this hour, we pray. Amen. So there's this law of nature that uh, when you become a parent, the level of acceptable hypocrisy that exists in your life must increase. (laughs) And with it is this companion law that whenever your hypocrisy is most on display, your children will, without fail, have eyeballs on you and their full attention on you as you were doing whatever it is you're not supposed to be doing. And some of you even know a third uh, part of this law in which whatever you were caught doing is made public knowledge with unbelievable speed, right? I'm talking teachers, your wife, the librarian, you know, elderly neighbors, complete strangers. There's an honesty um, with children an openness, a purity, this unblemished way of understanding and seeing the world. They see and name things as they are. They see and name things that are true, things that we adults are often reticent to acknowledge. Um, Our little moments of hypocrisy, for sure, but, but also big things like death and grief and things that simply should not be. Um, Yes, children test boundaries. Yes, they break rules, but they also instinctively seem to grasp the heart of a matter. They often feel before they think or understand. I think we don't credit children enough for how keen they are in their simple understanding of the world and the way they see the world. And in this tragic way, a consequence of growing up is that we lose this. We, everything moves from our hearts to our minds and it just kind of becomes nuanced and complicated and wrapped up in in pain. I I think about my dad, he he died of cancer when I was 15, but I remember him, he was a loving man, but he was also easily angered. And I have vivid memories of when I was a child and riding in his truck with him and wondering why he would get so angry at someone in another car. Someone he doesn't know, you know, and I, I know that there was pain there, not, not, not to excuse, you know, his often angry outburst, but, but I know why. And yet, I wish that I could see the world again as I did then. The way I instinctively understood, we don't have to yell at people for small things, for small reasons. We can be kind and, and generous. And isn't it better to smile and laugh? and create space for mistakes. It's no wonder to me that Jesus often commended the ways of children to adults. And in fact, he did more than that here, didn't he? If you look at verse 25, Jesus said that God actively hid some things from those who would claim great wisdom and understanding, and he he chose to reveal them to the least, to the weak, to the unexpected, the children. He said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Now, what exactly Jesus is talking about here that God hid from the wise and revealed to the children, we don't know specifically. Different commentary writers kind of seem to have different ideas, but I bet a child would get it. But a child would know. And in our church, Our children's ministry utilizes godly play. Some of you may be familiar with godly play, which is a way of teaching the Bible that taps into the pure imagination of children. Uh, The children might 
hear and, and watch the story of Abraham, for instance, enacted gently and quietly and simply in front of them. And then they're asked to wonder about his long journey from Ur to Canaan. And our youngest ones might wonder together, you know, did they play games along the way? I wonder what kind of games they played to pass the time. And maybe some of our older ones might wonder, I wonder what kind of shoes they wore. Didn't their shoes wear out on such a long journey? And some of our boys might wonder, you know, where did they go to poop when they had to go? I know my son would. Um, and all of these wonderings and imaginative ways of interacting with Scripture paint for them perhaps a more beautifully alive image of what actually happened and where God was in the story. And so if I'm tapping into my inner child and wondering about what Jesus is referring to here when he said that God hid some things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to children, I, I wonder if he's simply talking about being loved. Being loved by a father for no particular reason at all. Just loved. Nothing done, nothing earned, nothing expected. Just love. Because, you see, that, that kind of love is a hard thing to intellectually grasp. Impossible, I would say. But we adults have grown up and we've grown into a people of consequence. That's how we see the world. We tend to see the world through this lens in which anything good doesn't come for free. It's got to be earned. And here is Jesus with some adults who aren't too unlike us in that regard. And they've long felt the oppression of a law they can't keep. They've long felt the ire of religious leaders who complicate the law further and further. And Jesus says to them, the children know better than any of those who claim knowledge and wisdom. And then he extends the greatest invitation that humanity has ever known. And as a loving parent would to a child, he says, come to me. And I, I imagine that he held his arms out like this. Come to me. All who labor under this illusion that you can earn my love, my goodness, my rest, my blessing. Come to me. Come to me, all who are heavily burdened by the things that you think that you have to do to be loved, to be seen, to be wanted. Come to me, and I will give you rest for your weary and hurting hearts. Do you hear how loved you are in that? I mean, if I could, if I could snap my fingers and just create the conditions of safety for all of you in here, where all of you just one by one came up here to tell your whole story, what I know to be true is that the painful parts of your stories that each of you would share come from a place in which love was lacking in your life. Whether through someone who became absent through their sickness or death at no fault of their own, or someone who was absent through simply not being present to see you and know you and love you as you are. When Jesus extends this invitation, he offers no conditions. His love is real and available and it doesn't expire, but you might say, wait, doesn't, doesn't he talk about taking his yoke upon us? Isn't that work? Isn't that like this agricultural farming language? Isn't, isn't he just saying that we have to earn what he has to offer? Well, I, well, what I want you to see is that 
He promises what nothing and no one else in this world can give. That in the upside down way of the kingdom of God, his work doesn't deplete, it fills. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. His, his work isn't about earning, it's about responding to something already received. He didn't say, come to me and you will earn. Come this way you'll, and you will gain. You'll be able to purchase. He said, come to me and you will find. And this work, this work he invites us into is doing something. It's coming to a culmination. This, the feast he gathers us to is a celebration of the great reversal in which all of the death and destruction and chaos and heartache all of the pain and longing and suffering of this world will be no more. And in its place will be life, real life, and peace and joy everlasting. John of Patmos described that reality this way. He said, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And I would add that you can't wipe away tears unless you get close. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And at that time, in that place, we will all be like children. Uncomplicated by the worries and pains of this life. Unmarred and unmistakably, undeniably joyful. And so I would just say as a final word that while it's necessary that all of us come together each week to rehearse the great feast of our life in Christ, it would be good for some of us, and I'm including myself here, to start spending more time with children, being reminded of the ways of children. For some of us, that's not only good medicine for our bodies, our physical bodies truly, but it's one of the holiest things that we could do in our pursuit of becoming like Jesus. There are probably a few parents in here who would gladly let you borrow their children for such an endeavor. Or you could volunteer in one of our ministries to children, nursery, godly play, student ministry, now, we'll background check and safety course the fool out of you, but, you know, after that, I have every confidence in saying that you will find great blessing in spending time with children. Take just one Sunday a month. Come worship at 8 a.m. and then at 10 a.m. Spend the first half of the service in the nursery, rocking babies, playing with toddlers, learning from them. Join in godly play and become trained as a storyteller or doorkeeper. And ask any one of our godly play volunteers who may be here. They find just as much joy in learning through godly play as the children do. Or talk to Father Taylor about leading a, a small group of students each Wednesday evening and, and processing their lives and their own unfolding stories. I'll tell you this, I spent a short season as a small group leader for Hux and other boys his age. And yes, they are strange. <laughs> They're loud. 
They're middle school boys. But they have a capacity for imagining and understanding the things of eternity in ways that would surprise you. It's beautiful. Don't miss out on the things that God has placed in the hearts and minds of children. Come to me, Jesus said, and I will give you rest. Let's pray. Lord, you bid us to come to you and to find a different way of moving through this life. It is a way you have placed in the hearts of children, a way that many of us have forgotten through the difficulties and struggles of life. Help us by your spirit to begin to reshape our hearts and minds and imaginations around this life. And let us again know your love with the faith of a child. We pray this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.